Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where my brother and I, uh, we answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. And this week's Dear Hank and John is a little bit different. How's it different, John? Well, we are actually sitting across from each other in my office here in Indianapolis because you have been kind enough to fly here just so we can do some IRL podcasting. Eye to eye, face to face. Yes. Head to head. Yes. How do we prove to them that we're actually sitting here together? Mm, we could make a high five. High five. Could you hear that? It was legit. What about this one? Oh, you're right. It's so easy to fake. Yeah, uh, I was just clapping that time. I think people would just be able to tell because the vibe is going to be different. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be more frustrated with each other, more angry, um, and more, I think, despondent. Hank... That reminds me of what a funny podcast this comedy podcast is. Hank, would you like a short poem for today? I doesn't matter. Because you're going to get one. Uh, this is a very short poem uh, to make up for the longest short poem I read a couple weeks ago. This is called You Fit Into Me by Margaret Atwood. Are you familiar with this poem? No. Oh, it's a good one. You ready? You fit into me like a hook into an eye, a fish hook, an open eye. That was a short poem. Very short. I like Margaret Atwood. That, I, that's my kind of poem. Yeah, well, that Margaret Atwood's your kind of your kind of writer for sure. She's great, um, and I uh, I've always liked that poem um, <laughs> because there's so much uh, you complete me and you fit into me and we complement each other um, poetry out there that uh, she sets your expectations up um, pretty carefully and you're just picturing this uh, yeah you know this this needle and this thread. And then, uh, and then you're not. Yep. All right. Um, how are you, Hank? What's going on? What's new? Well, I just flew to Indianapolis. Yeah. Uh, so, boy, are my arms tired. Oh, God. And Cancel the podcast. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it, uh, which, it's a lovely place. It's yeah. A, I will say that your office 
is a place where I will never let my employees go <laughs> because, because they nice, will see how how poorly I treat them in our not very nice office. That's very nice here, um, and and your house is lovely, your family's lovely, uh, and your town is lovely. It Thanks, is man. Indianapolis. The airport is amazing. We have an amazing airport, and you have good cookies. I've heard, but I great haven't cookies. been able to try them great yet. Cookies. I'm looking forward to these great cookies. And yeah. my parents are here, and my wife is here. It's just family. It's good family time. Yeah. And it's enjoyable. No, it's beautiful, and um, we're very happy to have you here. Thanks for coming. We've been here because it's uh, the annual meeting or semi-annual meeting uh, for DFTBA.com, uh, uh, the, the web store where you can find uh, merch. And we don't have any Dear Hank and John merch. We don't have Dear Hank and John merch. Um, what, a, what a disaster for this particular moment where we're talking about. It would be great to have something to advertise. <laughs> However, you can go and buy Hank and John's stuff yeah. uh, from phone cases to jewelry to t-shirts to posters. Check it out at DFTBA.com. Today's podcast actually sponsored by DFTBA.com. <laughs> um, so uh, you want to answer some questions? I think that's probably a good idea right. since it's what we do. Can I ask the first one? Sure. Dear John and Hank, this, uh, this question is from Brooke. Uh, she writes, I am a freshman starting high school this year. I'm also starting in a completely new school. What are some ways to make new friends? I feel like this question was designed for me, Hank, because as you know, I have made one friend in the last 12 years. Uh, my friend Chris Waters, my you, best friend. A person who you made friends with completely outside of the environment of school. Yes, but so. I made the one. I made one friend. Yep. Um... That's the first time I've made a friend since school. Uh, so I'm pretty proud of myself. And then I'm also very good friends with his wife, Marina Waters. But I met her through him. Right. In fact, all of my other friends are either people I work with or people I met through Chris. Uh, so my first recommendation um, would be, Brooke, to make friends with Chris. I mean, he's amazing. He, he will introduce you to tons of people. No, 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 none of your fellow freshmen in high school. Um, they'll all be adults. So that would probably be weird. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's try to find some better advice than that because I don't think that's good. Hank, I, what's your I, advice? It's hard. It and, is hard. And in my experience, it is, it is also, I know, it was never something that I did intentionally until I was an adult. It was always something that just sort of happened to me. And I think that that's okay. Mm -hmm. uh, but I definitely found myself hanging out for a long time with people I didn't really dig that much. And then I would find like one person who I'd actually get along with and then latch on to them and spend all my time with them, which is fine. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, you know, your quintessential best friend. And then, uh, and then finally it took me, you know... Until, until like senior year of high school until I had like a group of friends who I who I felt like I would have been friends with them even if I hadn't just been thrown into a, uh, a, a situation with them that sort of like created the friendship right I mean there's a lot of like friendships of convenience not mm -hmm. just in high school or college but also in adulthood um but, you know, my, my main recommendation um, is uh, to, to try to be uh, nice. Yeah. Um, there, the great line in the movie Harvey, um, in this world, Elwood, you must be oh so smart or oh so pleasant. For years I was smart. I recommend pleasant. Um, <laughs> I, I, it's, it can be very hard to be nice, especially when people are mean to you. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I believe that if you are 
if, if you you know if you try to be a good friend, if you try to be a good listener, if you try to ask questions and be become genuinely interested in the lives of pe- the people around you, um, some of them, not all of them, unfortunately, but some of them uh, will in turn um, you know treat you the way that you are treating them, and I, I believe that good friendships can come out of that. But it is not easy. And I think the main thing that I would say is that like, it's also, you, you also have to remember that like, it's not easy for anybody else either. Um, even the people who maybe seem like they're popular or seem like they're comfortable or confident um, probably aren't nearly as comfortable and confident as they, as they, uh, as they appear to be. Um, but it isn't easy and I think that you should, you know, it's okay to be uh, scared, but, but also bear in mind that like, it will get easier, it will get better. Like, uh, in the same way as, you know, your first day doing anything is not as easy as your hundredth day. Um, you know, once you're settled in that new school and uh, things will get, things will get easier. Um, but I wish you well and certainly um, uh, listeners of Dear Hank and John, if you happen across Brooke, at your school, be nice to her. She seems like a very sweet person. We have another question. This one is from Chris, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I understand and respect your passion for the planet Mars. I've got to stop you right there, Hank. I am not at all passionate about the planet Mars. Chris? This question is for Hank. He said that. He Um, says that this question is for Hank. It's for Hank. Just for Hank. Yeah, but I I feel like I'm being excluded from the podcast. So I just want to establish right now that I have no passion for Mars. There are very few cold, dead rocks I care less about. As our closest neighbor in space, Chris says, it is hard not to be fascinated by Mars unless you are John Green. However, I wonder if it isn't becoming just slightly passe to care so much about the inner planets. With the huge amounts of data streaming from New Horizons, Cassini, and other explorers in the outer solar system, would you consider focusing some of your attention on that great beyond? Capitalized, by the way. The data will be coming in for years and years, so there will be lots of new things to study, discover, and learn about. What do you think? Oh, that's a great idea, Chris. Anything to get us to stop talking about Mars would be welcome, even if it means having to talk about Jupiter. Uh... There are lots of really fascinating things going on uh, past Mars, I agree. There's a, there are nice things about Mars. It is a fairly hospitable place uh, it, it, in terms of the rest of the solar system. I prefer like you, Earth. You're, yes, Earth is, is definitely... But if you're not going to like... It's very difficult to send a probe to the surface of Venus uh, where it rains sulfuric acid. Uh, not a good place to hang out in. It's it's the hottest place in the solar system. You don't want to go there. What about Mercury? Mercury is also uh, inhospitable. Isn't it hotter than Venus because it's closer to the sun? hotter on Venus because of the greenhouse effect of Venus because uh, Mercury doesn't have an atmosphere um, and so so it actually gets hotter on on Venus. Hank, I don't like to disagree with you when it comes to hard science stuff, but I read something on the internet about how the greenhouse, the gas stuff, that's not even true. (laughs) We're going to get back to Chris's question. Uh, where are we? <laughs> I'm not going to... Okay. Uh, is, John is joking, by the way. Uh, so you I, became I, visibly anxious when I said that. <laughs> uh, oh, my goodness. We have a guest. Oh, a very special guest. Oh, hello. It's a wheezy waiter. He's pulling up a chair right now. You're, you're legally required to sing that when I enter. Can, can we hear here. him over there? Yeah, you have to be on this side. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, Craig Benzine, Wheezy Waiter, has just joined us. We're talking about uh, which planets are the most fascinating 
Which planets are the most fascinating What's in your... our solar system? Yes. Okay. What's your favorite planet in our solar system? Let's all let's just Except all go Earth. around and say. Nope, you can't pick Earth. Ugh. Saturn. Ugh. Saturn. Yep. Mars. You know, if I can't pick Earth, in a way, there's seven equally dead and meaningless rocks. Um, <laughs> well, several of them aren't, in fact, rocks. Just don't they clear. have rock cores somewhere? No. You're telling me that there are planets that have no solidity. Just gas? Uh, I did not say that. I said that they didn't have rock cores. What do they have? Liquid or solid hydrogen and helium. Is that Venus? Does Venus have Wait, that? so you're telling me there are planets that are just liquid helium? No, I'm saying that Jupiter and Saturn and Neptune... Uh, had the, are just gassy uh, things. And so we're not sure what's in the middle because they're awful big, but we think that it's probably just really, really tightly compressed things that would be gas if they weren't so tightly compressed. So you're telling me that I couldn't stand on so, Jupiter. It would be like standing on a cloud. Uh, no. Standing on Jupiter would be like falling into a cloud that became so dense that it crushed you. Mm. That doesn't sound like fun to me. Don't do that. Once again, Earth, the number one place to live in the solar system. Are you saying Saturn's like that, too? Yeah, yeah, all the gas giants. All right. No, okay. So in that case, my favorite non-Earth planet is going to have to be the moon. Um, It's close. It's very close to Earth, which is great. And then also, it's relatively hospitable because we had astronauts on it. But it's also not a planet. Is a, is yeah. is a thing that we yeah. could we could go play semantics and say, yeah. you know, by the definition, any definition. All right, then my favorite non-Earth. No, actually, there are people who argue that the Earth-Moon system is actually a binary planet system, like two planets. Yeah, the Earth is one and the Moon is the other. Yeah. All right. If the Moon is a planet, I'm going to pick the Moon. If the Moon is not a planet, I'm going to stun everyone and pick Mars. But only because the others, hey! only because the others are so useless. Like, would the would the, would the would the solar system or any aspect of human experience be in any way different if we eliminated all seven of the other planets? Yes, very very different. How? Tell me. Uh, just the fact that we would have had no planets in the sky would have made it much more difficult to figure out the how how like our place in the universe. Having those other planets be these weird things that were moving around, that, that was the impetus for the scientific revolution. Like, that's how we figured out how gravity works. That's how Newton determined a many, of, like, many of the things Newton figured out. Pretty sure an apple fell on his head, and that's how he discovered gravity. I, though I do love your, your question, though. How would science have, pro- have proceeded differently if we hadn't have had these objects in the sky behaving so strangely that would have allowed, it, that allowed us to figure out the rules of gravity and, and motion? That's great. Um, let's move on to another question. <laughs> uh, How long are you here for, Craig? Uh, well, I'm leaving as soon as you guys are done with me here. Okay. So this question is from... Uh, oh, right. You're not going to a plane. This, you can drive home. This, I can drive, okay. but I do, have, I do have to be somewhere. This, okay. <laughs> this, this question is from Stephen, uh, who asks, Dear John and Hank, and apparently Craig, I've just turned 30. As demonstrated that I listen to your podcast and watch your videos, I'm still clinging to some semblance of youth, but my wife tells me it's all downhill from here. Is she right? (laughs) 
First off, Stephen, there's lots of adults who, who watch our videos and listen to the podcast. Thank you for being one of them. Um, secondly, I can report as a 37-year-old that, in fact, it's not all downhill between 30 and 37 because I've, I've found my 30s, and I'm not just saying this because I've had this, like, uh, strange good fortune of professional success. I found my 30s to be an A-plus number one decade. If I had to rank my personal decades, uh, completely forget about strip away, like, all... Uh, all professional successes or failures, just like uh, relationships and uh, uh, personal experiences, relationship with the world, feeling of uh, comfort and satisfaction with um, the experience of being alive. I'm going to rank them. Ready? Okay. 30s. Mm-hmm. 10 to 20. 20 to 30. 0 to 10. 0 to 10 is last because I didn't know what the heck was going on. <laughs> I was just like, this is terrifying. I was pretty much, until I was 10 years old, I essentially never had an emotion other than fear. That's, I don't remember that about you, but I was very, very young. Uh, you, I sometimes, like, it's interesting sitting here across from you because I realize how much you talk. <laughs> <laughs> you can just go on. Greg, Greg, rank your decades. Okay, I, I have to actually agree pretty much exactly with, with John. Actually, exactly. I think I think my 30s are my favorite because all of the social anxiety that I felt in my 20s and all of the uncertainty of like where my life was headed is kind of gone and not and not just because my career again not just because my career is really has is I've had good fortune in my 30s um, but because I feel uh, more I, I guess I feel more certain like or, or the things that used to bother me don't bother me as much anymore like like. Like if I you know say something stupid in a conversation, I'm like yeah whatever there'll be other conversations. Mm-hmm. Like like stuff that you that annoy you when you're younger, I think just kind of are glossed over when you get older. To me anyway, it feels like yeah. like I feel more comfortable in my own skin. I have yeah. uh, so being a third person who has experienced success in their 30s, I'm going to to uh, try and come up from from a different angle and say that I feel like most of my friends are also that way. They feel like they've found more of their place and more of what like they feel comfortable with and, and like who they are and it really I think like it's strange and I, I'm interested to see what my 40s are like because maybe it'll be even better and mm-hmm. I should ask some 48 year olds and be like hey how's the 40s going uh, and see may, maybe it just keeps getting better from like every until uh, you get to be the time when you're dying and then it might <laughs> be a little painful and I expect sad. I expect yeah. that the that it'll be more of like the 30s. It'll just I'll just be older. That's what yeah, I this, get. This 30s, yeah. but older until yeah. until you know until you until I'm gone. I mean, I will have kids eventually, which will change things quite a bit. Yes, but. there is a drastic drastic drop off in quality of life um, around 90. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That um, sounds about right. I've never I've never spoken to someone who said, "All right, I'm going to rank my decades best." My 90s. <laughs> They've been amazing. I, I uh, just want to say that I, I find it interesting that uh, I've forgotten his name. Stephen. That Stephen has said uh, that he's trying to he's holding on to some vestige of his youth, which is which is evidenced by his listening to our podcast. Are are we a way for people to hold on to their youths? Are we just for young people, John? I feel quite not young. I feel like a 35 year old. You guys are a bunch of old men. You know what I've and noticed? by you guys you mean the three of us? Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. You know what I've just noticed, Tank? What? You can just talk and talk and talk and talk. <laughs> uh, we got another question. Uh, this one comes from Alex, 
who writes, Dear John and Hank, what clubs or sports did you participate in high school and or college? Uh, let's ask Craig as well. You go first. I'm from a very small town, so I was able... There wasn't a lot to do other than sports. So uh, I was able to participate in a lot. I participated in um, basketball, football, and track. Wow. Mainly. Were you yeah. good at any of these? I was pretty good at basketball. Yeah. But Did then but then by junior year I wasn't tall compared to everyone else. So mm. I, I quit. <laughs> oh, so you didn't you didn't play in college or anything? No, I, I did track all the way up through senior year, but uh, of high school. But then uh, but everything else I didn't make it past junior year. Yeah. Hank? Uh I played hockey in high school, a roller hockey. Right, I remember that. And uh, that was the only sport I've ever played, uh, except for like ultimate frisbee mm-hmm. in college, which was not organized in any way. It was an uh, excuse to, it was a thing you could do while drinking beer. Yeah. You can kind of play ultimate frisbee and drink beer at the same time. Great I mean, sport. Not at a professional level. No, yes. no, certainly not. <laughs> um, and as far as clubs, I, I was like in an art club in high school. I was in the AIDS awareness club in high school. In college, I was in like an activism activist club that was sort of... Uh, just angry about the way that America treats the rest of the world and also the institution of capitalism. So I was sort of like that was that was my main thing in college, which is an interesting. I've I've had an interesting uh, progression from that. Yeah, I wouldn't say you've completely abandoned that. No, um, I said at your wedding, and I would stand by this: that of all the communists I know, Hank loves money the most. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, uh, I also would like to point out that you were in the marching band. Oh, yes, I was. I didn't actually march, though, because the, the first year of marching band, I broke my foot. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was behind. And so I was in the, the pit. Uh, I, I, played, I played the pit percussion. Mm-hmm. And I also was, for a while, the, uh, the, the high school mascot, Willie the Wildcat. Uh, which is wonderful. I mean, I can only imagine how good of a Willie the Wildcat you must have been. You're very... Uh, you know, looking back, I could have been better. I feel... It's one of the things that I regret, that, like, I had this opportunity, and I was wearing... and I, But, like, I was very self-conscious, which is strange, because I was wearing a, a costume, and no one knew it was me. Yeah. But I was very self-conscious, and I, I feel like I could have been a better Willie. What, what would you have done differently? I think I should have danced more. I should have, like, played with the, the children in the audience, and, like... And, you know, just been more energetic. And I mostly just walked around and was like, eh. You know, I'm also surprised that you didn't dance more because I happen to know that in 1998 you were voted best dancer by your fellow students at Winter Park High School. But I never did it with a wildcat costume on. You only did it at prom. No, I did it in the marching band. Like when we were in the stands, I would like totally dance. But when I was wearing the Wildcat costume, I felt self-conscious. It's very strange and I do not understand it. That is fascinating. I was mostly an ultimate Frisbee player. Oh. Um, and I was, I would say, ninth best out of, of, out of the 11 starters. And then I also, um, I was very involved in academic decathlon, this weird uh, quasi-sport where... You participate in 10 different uh, academic events, from economics to speech to taking a history test. And you have to have each team has to have three A students with GPAs above uh, 3.5, three B students with GPAs between 3.0 and 3.5, and three C students. And really, of course, like you, you, the difference between a good academic decathlon team and a great one is it's C students, because everyone has smart A students. And I was a C student. Um, for our academic decathlon team. And in fact, when uh, I was very close to getting a 3.0 uh, GPA, <laughs> um, 
a teacher who will remain anonymous, uh, but who also worked with me on the academic decathlon team, said, uh, I, I can't help but notice that you're doing quite well in uh, physics this year. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, I just want you to know we don't have a, a spot for you as a B student on the academic decathlon team. <laughs> so I threw physics. You threw it. I threw it. I got a D in physics so that I could maintain my C student status as an academic decathlete and thereby um, help my school uh, at the national tournament, which that year was in Newark, New Jersey, where I very briefly but very intensely over the course of about four hours while drinking six wine coolers uh, fell in love with a young woman from Oklahoma um, who, as it turned out, had a boyfriend. But that oh. is a different story. Hmm. Fascinating. I had no idea how corrupt the... yeah. The academic decathlon was, whatever that was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'm sure that that has had, I mean, never mind. Uh, this question is from Calvin, who asks, Dear Hank and John, do you think it's possible for society to promote a good thing, such as a healthy diet or active lifestyle, without stigmatizing those who don't fit that description? I think this is interesting, particularly from the public health standpoint of cigarette smoking. Because a lot, I feel like a lot of the way that we dramatically decreased the amount of cigarette smoking in America was by sort of having a negative image of people who smoked cigarettes. And I definitely like, like, and, and I guess I still to some extent have that where I'm like, oh, I, you know, like, oh, you smoke cigarette. Oh, I don't know how to feel about that. Mm -hmm. Which is, of course, you know. It's, it's, well, I think that it's a little different. Like, I mean, I grew up with the Mar. I grew up smoking cigarettes, and I quit in two thousand two. And like, I, you know, I grew up with the Marlboro Man and like Joe Cool, the Camel, <laughs> um, who would smoke cigarettes in uh, magazine ads and magazines I liked and everything. But I, and I do think that like by shifting the image of the smoker from a cool cowboy and or a cartoon camel. Uh, to, you know, people who uh, die of lung cancer and tuberculosis, you certainly, I, I think that that resulted in, in, in less smoking. I think it's very different than when you're talking about um, uh, obesity or, or weight. That if but you at stigmatize, the same time, I don't he, think stigmatizing obese people has, has in any, which we've been doing for right. no, two I centuries. Agree. I don't think it's a decreased obesity. Right. Definitely not. I, I th yeah. I, um, I think with smoking, a difference is it's, obviously and always a choice to smoke uh, with obesity sometimes it's you know it's genetic sometimes it's not controllable so it's a little bit more of an if it's if, also if it's he, also not a very good uh, reflector of health like BMI uh, mm -hmm. the, the ratio between your body weight and your height like is not actually that good a predictor of health outcomes like uh, what what is considered people people who live uh, the longest are actually um, uh, people who are what is considered to be overweight, um, at least in many countries. So I don't. Uh, I I I think this like this whole idea that like somehow stigmatizing right. fatness is going to lead to a healthier country well, the other is thing, ridiculous. Yes, the other thing is uh, is feeling bad about yourself does not tend to lead to less uh, uh, poor decision making right. yeah or, I mean I bad, quit bad health like feeling bad about yourself leads to more bad health choices right when I quit smoking I quit smoking not because uh, smokers were being stigmatized I quit smoking because people were telling me I could do it right right and the other thing is that it with smoking it is a thing that is addictive and the goal is to not have people start 
because once you start, it's difficult to stop. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas food is something that all people need to be eating. I will say, as far as an active lifestyle goes, that um, I do think that we need to, we should promote um, activity in people who, um, you know, are able to be physically active because that is, uh, at least according to Dr. Aaron Carroll, the host of Healthcare Triage, um, who is the only person I uh, know who is a healthcare economist. Um, You know, Aaron certainly feels like exercise is the, by far, the biggest thing Mm -hmm. uh, that we can do for public health today. I will say personally, I've just recently, in the past like year or two, started jogging a lot and exercising a lot more, and I feel way better than I have like most of my life. So, you look uh, real good too. Oh well, thank you, thank you. I think that. it's just mostly your eyes, though. Well, it's beautiful eyes. I exercise my eyes. So, do tell me about your eye exercises. Well, I watch the Vlogbrothers. We always yeah. pop across the screen. We're always like moving from one side to the other. <laughs> a lot of jump cuts going on there. Yeah. On a giant screen. I watch you on a, on, on a wall projection. Yeah. Every day. So you lift eye weights? <laughs> I do. Yes, I do. Put with fish hooks? Con- like very sticky contact lenses. You know, after lenses. my uh, orbital cellulitis, I did have to do eye exercises. You did? Yeah. Oh, wow. I couldn't see out of my left eye for the longest time, and they, yeah, I did. I, it was, I don't. It wasn't muscle exercises, but it was focusing exercises where I would be like, "Well, I guess they can't really see what I'm doing, right?" Okay. <laughs> um, that's the that's the downside of the in-person podcast tank. Yeah, is that I forget that, that they're not they're, seeing what yeah. I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, what I'm seeing right now is Hank and Craig. Hank wearing a pink shirt. Craig wearing a PBS Digital Studio shirt. Always repping the brand. Um, <laughs> And uh, I just realized now that Hank and I are wearing nearly identical gray jeans. Correct. Okay, I think we've got time for one last question before we get to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. This question is from Joanna, who asks, Dear John and Hank, if you could have been a child prodigy at any one thing, what would it have been? Oh, can I keep that skill throughout life? I assume so. That's how child prodigy usually works. Right. You don't so, forget how to play the piano. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like it would probably be some kind of musical instrument. Which one? Uh, accordion. Are there child prodigies in the accordion? Maybe not yet. Yet! Was Weird Al Yankovic a, a, an accordion prodigy? You know, I doubt that Weird Al Yankovic could ever... Like, he's a good accordion player. But yeah. I don't know how good he is. Maybe he's very, very good. He's just one of the only famous ones. Right. So. Is it... I, I mean, and, and this is a genuine question for the members of the Dear Hank and John community um, who are well connected to the world of professional accordionists. Um, <laughs> is is accordion something where you would, can achieve an acute level of, of excellence, um, or is it more about like uh, style? You know. I think it's something you could achieve an acute level of excellence at. I mean, you look right. at the accordion, it looks very complicated. It's got like 80,000 buttons on one side. And I think it's got that's a piano an exaggeration. On, on the other side. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I, think it's in the, I think you can have one with up to 92 or 108 buttons. Okay. And it's, uh, that's a lot of buttons. Yeah. And if you want to be able to use all those buttons, I can't, I can't imagine how right. it's, what's going on in your brain to, to even know where all those buttons are and what they do. Sure. So, I, yeah, I think that. Uh, I think that. I think you can continue becoming a better accordionist every single day for the rest of your life if you wanted to. Mm. Craig? Uh, do I think that you can become a good accordionist? <laughs> no, what would, what would your child prodigy skill be? Uh, I've been thinking about it. Um, I guess either um, storytelling, like writing. 
mm. writing, I think. There aren't a ton of writing prodigies. There are some, like Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein when she was 19. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, John Keats uh, was a very good poet by the time he was 17 or 18. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's not something that people tend to be... Pre- uh, particularly precocious at when they're kids yeah i think i was i liked it i think english classes were my favorite especially when the teacher had us write short stories and i think i was pretty good at making the other students laugh with my short stories yeah but they weren't they weren't keats right (laughs) yeah well i mean uh i recently reread one of my stories from uh college thinking that i could use it to write just as a framework for writing a new book um instead of having to write a whole book which seems like a lot of work and um, I remember this story as being pretty close to brilliant. And I reread it and I was like, sadly, there is not even a salvageable dependent clause in this entire 60 pages. Um, so I certainly was no writing prodigy. I guess like if I could be prodigious at anything as a child, it would have been math because I find math to be such an interesting language, but it's also a language that I feel like I speak um, or, or can use only... Uh, only little bits of, you know, like I, like I, I, I speak math at a five-year-old level, um, but I'm fascinated by the, the beauty of it, and I think it would help me to appreciate Mars better, um, and this sort of, you know, the, the, the vast, vast, vast majority of the universe, which is outside of direct human experience, I feel like, uh, you know, being able to speak math helps you to interact with with that universe as well as the human universe a lot better and I regret like not having a better uh, sort of facility with mathematics even in adulthood but you know it is something that I've like spent a lot of time trying to learn about um, as an adult but I wish that I just like picked it up when I was eight mm-hmm. I would have said math but I was a, ch- a prodigy at math oh so. right you didn't yeah so you already had that one mm-hmm. Hank you were kind of a math prodigy. No, at all, not at all. Oh, I remember no. you knew like you could do your multiplication tables in like third grade. Yeah, sure, that kind of math. But that's not the kind of math I want to be prodigious at. No, you want to do the like calculus, calculus and and yeah, geometry, the, the interesting stuff. Yeah, the stuff like my my friend Daniel Biss does, where he, he proved that a triangle is really just a kind of circle. <laughs> that stuff is amazing. <laughs> it's mind blowing. Um, or like understanding why. You know, trees have symmetrical leaves and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. There's so much. There's so much beauty out there that you don't get to appreciate if you aren't aware of um, aware of it. Um, Hank. Yeah. Speaking of beauty that often goes unappreciated, what is the news from Mars this week? Do we want to say goodbye to Craig first? I probably have to go, but I really appreciate you guys having me on this podcast. Yeah. So thank you to Craig Weezywaiter for joining us. YouTube.com/slash/Weezywaiter. Also the host of the Good Stuff. YouTube.com/slash the good stuff. Also, the host of Crash Course World uh, Government, gov- Crash, Pro- Crash Course Regular Government and Politics on YouTube.com/slash Crash Course. Regular government, mostly being American government. <laughs> yes. American government. American. Yes. That's yeah, normal. Yeah. Like 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 American cheese is the regular kind. <laughs> yeah, regular kind the, of cheese. Yeah, the yeah. standard global uh, cheese. Our our global our global <laughs> listeners have no idea what American cheese is. But let me assure you, friends. You also don't want to find out. No, no. no. <laughs> it's only going to disappoint you. Oh, Craig, thank you very much for yes, joining us. Thank you for having me. Enjoy. And go home to your, to your lady. Give me a hug. I will. Oh, we're hugging. We're hugging. Okay, we're going to hug it out. Okay, good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks. You have Santa shine for me. Happy podcasting. Thank, thank you. you.
So we all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but there are two things that you shouldn't compromise on. One is name brand Dr. Pepper. The off-brand stuff just doesn't hit the same. And another is, of course, your health. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines or their family group chat or the crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat basically any condition you're searching for. And the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. So go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash Dear Hank. Um, all right. Hank. Yes. What is the news from Mars this week? This week in Mars news, yeah. John, have you ever wanted to have your name on the surface of Mars? Yes. Because you oh. can have that. You really? can do that right now. Uh, NASA is sending a mission to Mars soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and included on that mission will be a very small uh, silicon chip. That mm-hmm. they will be etching people's names into. And I just signed up Wait. and had them etch my name into this chip that they're going to send to Mars. How much does it cost? It's free. What? It's free. Where can you go to sign up? You have to go to mars.nasa.gov. Go to mars.nasa.gov and you can have your uh, name etched onto a silicon chip that will be on Mars. Will it stay on Mars? Yeah. Forever? Yeah. Nope. Incorrect. Because in forever, the universe will d- die. Okay, for at least a billion years. Yeah, well, I mean, unless Mars gets hit, gets hit by a gigantic comet and that silicon chip comes flying and hits Earth and kills somebody. Oh, yeah, then it would be on Earth. In a person's head. <laughs> <laughs> Your name. <laughs> I want to sign up for that. Yeah, you can do that. It's totally free. Yeah, it's absolutely You're free. You're telling me that NASA is just giving away naming rights to Mars? no. Because AFC Wimbledon uh, charges a lot for them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's great. Congratulations. Um, In uh, AFC Wimbledon news, uh, AFC Wimbledon uh, just had uh, an evening of paper towns where uh, the manager and several of the players and uh, lots and lots of AFC Wimbledon fans decked out in their AFC Wimbledon gear and went to um, a theater in South London and all watched the Paper Towns movie together and then made me the sweetest, most awesome video uh, about the experience, um, which, you can, uh, which you can find on my Twitter, twitter.com slash John Green. Um, and uh, it was really wonderful. Also, Hank, Callum Kennedy, you know Callum Kennedy, AFC Wimbledon left back, um, hero of the AFC Wimbledon Wimbly Wombly's, the fictional version of AFC Wimbledon I play FIFA with. Um, Callum Kennedy scored a goal uh, against Cambridge United. Only three points from three games so far, worrisomely. But Callum Kennedy scored a goal uh, for against Cambridge, um, and he did a celebration that has gone viral 
in which he attempted to recreate the Velociraptor run uh, from the movie Jurassic World. And if you have not had a chance to see that, you should, because it is a thing of true beauty. That sounds that sounds enjoyable to me. John, I have a question. It's, there was one goal from Callum Kennedy in yes. this game. Yes. I'm assuming that it was not the only goal scored in that game. Indeed, it was not. Sadly, there were two goals scored by Cambridge. <laughs> uh, hence, hence the uh, zero points. Uh, that came out of that game. So uh, three league games so far for AFC Wimbledon. Uh, one win, two losses. That means uh, three points out of three games. Not where uh, we'd like to be. Uh, but uh, the season is young. Uh, hope is the thing with feathers. <laughs> what did we learn today, Hank? Uh, we learned that John, when he's sitting across from you, it really does hit home how much he talks. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hank. Hank, making fun of me for talking too much, even though I bet if we did the math, he talks more on Dear Hank and John than I do. Today's podcast is brought to you by the person who is actually going to do the math. Person who's actually going to do the math? You are an amazing fan of this podcast, and I can't wait... Uh, Put it on Twitter. Today's podcast is brought to you by your 30s. Your 30s. Underrated. <laughs> Today's podcast is brought to you by Wheezy Waiter. We also learned that both Hank and I played Ultimate Frisbee uh, as children. Yeah, we learned that John intentionally threw his physics game so that he could participate in uh, another game. I wouldn't really call the study of physics in high school a game. You know, your game, though. You mean my grade? Yeah, like your game. Like this is my like it's my, all like it's all like it's a phrase. Like my physics game is strong? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know that we were speaking so colloquially. <laughs> um and of course, we also learned that Hank, if he just had the chance, would have been a brilliant young accordionist. If not, not no, I probably wouldn't have been, but that's what I want to have been. And yes. then I could then man, wouldn't it be amazing with the perfect strangers if I, like I was like a rockin' accordionist? For those of you who don't know, Hank, uh, in addition to uh, being a vlog brother, uh, the host of Crash Course, the co-creator of VidCon and DFTBA Records is a rock star, um, and his band is called Hank Green and the Perfect Strangers. And they unfortunately are not headed by a lead singer who also plays the accordion. Tragically, Hank is unable to play the accordion, which is the reason that Hank Green and the Perfect Strangers will always be a bit of a niche band. <laughs> it's really holding us back. If only you could play the accordion, you guys would really break out onto yeah, the Billboard charts. I, I think so. Uh, you can participate in Dear Hank and John by sending us questions to hankandjohn at gmail.com. This podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. The theme music is by Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to, to be, be awesome. awesome.